right, from the end of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you who saw this house in, in its former, or who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it does become defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdom. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Good morning, everyone. And Jess and I are very sad that we aren't able to be there with you all this morning, but thankful that you are all still able to meet together. Last week, we looked at chapter 1 of Haggai and saw a bit of the context of the people that Haggai was addressing. We saw their complacency 
and distorted priorities as they went about building houses for themselves, all the while leaving God's temple, the dwelling place of God, desolate and neglected. And we spend some time during our time together reflecting on how easy it is for all of us to get our priorities distorted. In the end, I encourage each one of you to set a time and for this past week to stop, to reflect, and to pray about how you might be involved in building God's kingdom in this year to come. I do hope that was a valuable time for you all, um, and I pray that God would give each one of us the discipline and the right focus to keep him and his kingdom as the main thing this coming year. And so as we come to Haggai chapter 2 this week, we will see three messages from God through the prophet Haggai to his people. But unlike the rebuke which we saw last week in chapter 1, these are messages of comfort and hope, of the assurance of God's restoring work. As we see how God will bring about the restoration of the city of Jerusalem in three parts, rebuilding the temple, re-establishing the priesthood, and renewing the hope for a king from the Davidic line. As a nation, as a state, as individuals, this past couple of years has been quite a turbulent one for many of us. Most of us felt relief when we heard vaccines had been developed and wait in eager anticipation for their arrival and to be jabbed. And whilst the vaccines have been a huge blessing and a huge comfort and relief, I think for many of us, it has also brought disappointment. Disappointment that they haven't completely fixed the situation of COVID, that our lives haven't returned to normal. The fact that the vaccines aren't the complete and the final solution to our current problem. And it is something quite similar to this that we see in chapter 2 of Haggai, that although these restorations which God is promising and which God will bring about are good, that they are not ultimate, that they leave the people wanting more. But this is no mistake by God, but it is the way in which God chooses to operate, giving us gifts which leave us wanting more, leave us wanting more of him, leave us wanting him more. God chooses to give us on this earth gifts that cannot completely satisfy, but rather leave us wanting more of him. He is the ultimate goal and the true prize. God's greater temple. The second message from God comes less than a month after the rebuilding efforts had begun. And quite quickly, as the people were building, they realized that this temple they were building was nothing when compared to the temple of Solomon. And anticipating this disappointment, God speaks to them through Haggai, comforting them with two truths. In verse 4, we see God saying that he will be with them, that they have nothing to fear. And in verse 9, he says, there is going to come a temple that will far exceed the glory of the one they had before. The temple they were building was in response to their covenant with God all the way back in Mount Sinai. And we see in Haggai 2 verse 5, us pointed back to Exodus and to this covenant. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. At Mount Sinai, Moses was given a vision of heaven, which led them to build the tabernacle as an image, a representation of God's dwelling place. And it became the portable temple, the dwelling place of God, at the centre of the Jewish lives and worship. That is, until Solomon built the temple. 
And this temple was filled with God's presence and glory. And as this prophecy predicted, a greater temple did come. Despite the disappointment of this temple, we know that Herod, Herod the Great, went on to build an even bigger, even more impressive temple, one which even exceeded that of Solomon, one which the nations of Persia and Rome contributed to the building. And it was filled with God's glory. This is the temple Jesus would have seen in his life. But this is not all that was being prophesied through Haggai. As Hebrew shows us in its quoting of this passage, there was an even greater temple. Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29 say, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they had refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, at the first covenant, the earth shook. And as we see in this passage, the earth shook once again when Jesus died on the cross, tearing the curtain of the temple. Where the temple, the people Haggai was speaking to his building was in response to the covenant at Mount Sinai. We see the new covenant which came through Jesus once again shaking the earth. But this time, as Haggai prophesies, it involves all nations, all peoples, the whole earth. This new covenant is not just a covenant with the Jews, but with all people. And as Jesus said himself, after three days, that temple was restored. The temple now, one which cannot be shaken, a temple, as Ephesians 2 says, with Christ as the cornerstone, and us as living stones being built together, a temple in which God lives by his spirit. That is something we have already. God's church, despite its imperfections, the reality of being made up of broken and sinful individuals, individuals who can hurt and disappoint us, is a temple which cannot be shaken. It is the dwelling place of God. And it will be made complete and perfect when Christ returns and that which was inaugurated will be consummated. A church of all nations, tribes and tongues held together in Christ. The last two messages from the book of Haggai come on the same day, with the first of these found in verses 10 to 19. I will not reread that portion for the sake of time, but in it we see God addressing the priest, and we see how easy it is for something to be defiled. But yet at the same time, how holiness is not transferable in the same way. That is, if holy meat touches a garment, the garment cannot then make something else holy. All the while, 
if a person touches something unclean, like a dead body, they then themselves are unclean and can make others unclean. Death was the ultimate uncleanness in the Jewish system. Uncleanness is more transmissible. And whether it be because of their time in exile or because of their disobedience and sin, God makes it clear that the people are a defiled people. And so no amount of work that they're doing on this temple can make them holy and right with God. But in verse 19, we see God initiating, saying, I will bless you. He will make them clean. The holiness of the people were dependent on the priesthood, dependent on sacrifices, and dependent on obedience. Rarely in the history of Israel did this go well for them. The priests were often defiled and unable to do that which they were called to do. And the people often wandered from God and disobeyed. So whilst God here re-establishing the priesthood is a good thing, it leaves them wanting more. It is not the perfect solution. While the Levites had been so plagued by death, too plagued by death to provide lasting redemption for the Jews, the better priest, Christ, in his death provided restoration. And where the robe of a priest could not transfer holiness, we see in the New Testament Jesus' robe doing just that, as the woman who is bleeding is healed by touching merely the corner of his garment. Rather than being defiled by her uncleanness, Jesus, the greater priest, makes her clean. As a priest, rather than offering the sacrifices of the blood of animals, he gave the ultimate sacrifice, laying down his own life, pouring out his blood to make all who believe in him clean and holy. While the establishment of the priesthood is good news, this better solution, this better priesthood, it leads us to desiring is the one that can perfectly fulfill our desires. The greater king. It is this greater king and this greater kingdom that we see in the last message from God in Haggai, from verses 20 onwards. We see in these verses God promising Zerubbabel that he will be as a signet ring. Now this is significant because in Jeremiah 2 verse 24, we see God declaring, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. This is Zerubbabel's grandfather and God removing his blessing from him, the king, the royal line. And so here in Haggai, when we see God recommitting himself to Zerubbabel and his offspring, this fulfillment of prophecy did not happen in Zerubbabel's kingdom in his lifetime. In fact, it would be over 500 years before it was fulfilled in Jesus. But it restored a hope for the people of God. That that better king, that the promise of the Davidic line would be fulfilled. God promised the people of Jerusalem a better temple, a better priesthood, and a better king as a means of hope. 
as an unshakable hope and constant in an ever-turbulent world. What are you looking to for hope in this world? In the constant changes and stress, is it your job? Is it your status? Is it our health system? Or are you ultimately fixing your eyes on the king who is our priest, who has already come and begun building his temple, his living temple on earth? Okay, well, uh, you've heard from Hendre. He's done a good job, I think, at trying to explain over the last couple of weeks the content of Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2. It is such a practical book, really, particularly at the start of the year as we think about our priorities and how we spend our time and what we want to be investing in. And I thought it would just be a good time in this morning, kind of getting towards the end of January, good time for us to think about how we might apply some of this to our own lives. If you were here last week in particular, we saw Hendre trying to help us see from the book of Haggai that the, the people, God's people, had their priorities in the wrong place. They were working on their own homes and they left the temple of God unfinished. And last week we were encouraged to spend some time thinking about where our priorities sit. What are the things we think are important? I wonder if you've had a chance to do that over the past week. About a week ago or so I saw a video of a man called John Stackhouse who's a Canadian evangelical theologian and he was reflecting on Australians and the way in which we think, so outside eyes looking in. And he said that our idol as Australian evangelicals is comfort. That's what he thought, looking in at us as Australian evangelicals, our idol is comfort. Hendre's helped us think through the idea that God gives us good gifts, but gifts that ultimately don't satisfy so that we would yearn for him. And I'd like you to take a few moments now with your leaflet and a pen there's a little bit of space at the top of the note section, the first little space there. And I'd like you just to think through in your head, what are some of the comforts or gifts that you might be idolizing at the moment? Where are your priorities sitting and what might you want to change with that? Okay, so the first, first just we're going to give you a few minutes to do this. The, the plan is over the next 10 minutes or so for us to have four goes at doing this. But the first thing I'd like you to think through is what are the comforts that you might be idolizing? What are the gifts that you might be idolizing? And spend just a few moments making some notes about that. And then I'll come back and we'll look at the next little section. I hope you had a chance to write down one or two things. In, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2, we see Haggai speaking about a covenant that God has with his people. It was a covenant they had that God made with them when they came out of Egypt. We sometimes refer to it as the Mosaic Covenant. And it was kind of a conditional covenant. Obey my commands and it will go well with you. Today, we trust in the work of Jesus as Christians. We trust in his perfect obedience. We look to him knowing that we can't follow God's commands wholeheartedly, but that our Saviour and our King does. And yet that doesn't mean we can just turn our backs on God's good instructions to us today. It doesn't mean that we just get to disregard the words of the Bible. And so as we steamroll our way into 2022, I just thought it was a good idea for us to take a moment or two to think about the areas where we might need to consider how we should obey. 
What are the challenges in obeying God for you? It might be in your attitudes toward others. It might be to do with your finances. It might be to do with purity in your life. It, it, it might just be to do with the list of priorities that you've made already on your page. But it's in a moment or two. You don't need to write this down necessarily. You can do this in your head as well. I just want you to have a few moments to think through what are the pressure points in terms of obedience for you in your life? And how will you follow God in 2022? So you can take a moment or two to think through that. How, what are the pressure points in obedience to following God for you in your life? Right, thank you for doing that. It's a bit challenging sometimes to think through those sort of questions. Uh, in, in verses 10 to 14 of chapter 2 of Haggai, we read about, it's kind of like a parable, isn't it? To do with meat being tucked into a fold of a garment. And the, the point of the parable, I think, is to help us understand about holiness and uncleanliness. And Hendre was, I think, trying to help us see the idea that working on the temple of God won't make the people holy. Doing a good thing won't make the people holy. We saw that it's impossible for something that's being contaminated by something that's been unclean to get uncontaminated on its own. And I think here Haggai is, is looking forward to a better means of holiness, a means of holiness that didn't resolve, revolve around the priestly system of sacrifice. And today, ultimately, we know that that source of cleanliness is found in the work and in the person of Jesus. It's Jesus who is the better priest that Haggai, I think, was looking forward to. Remember what Andrew said, like, meat tucked in a fold of your garment, even if that meat is holy, it, it won't make you clean. That meat touching something else doesn't make any difference. But Hendre, I think, very helpfully pointed us to the story of, of that woman who was unwell, who had been bleeding for 12 years. She was contaminated. She was dirty in that sense, unclean. She reached out and touched the robe of Jesus. Not only was she made clean, but she was healed. It's sort of the end point of the parable in Haggai, isn't it? A better priest in Jesus has come. I want us to pause just for a moment or two now for you to give thanks to God that we live in this time where we can trust in the work of Jesus in his death for our holiness, for the way in which he enables us to approach God without a sacrifice of killing an animal. I would like us, you individually, to give thanks to God for Jesus' perfect work and to give thanks for his cleansing work and the way in which he renews and forgives each one of us. I'd like you to just spend some time praying. If you want some encouragement to see how this works, you might like to look up Mark chapter 5 on your phones, and you can read the little story of the woman reaching out and touching Jesus. That's Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. But I'd love you to give thanks to God now for the person and work of Jesus who makes us clean who forgives us, who enables us to come into God's presence by his work on the cross. Take a few moments to do that. Well, here's the last little activity that I'd like you to do. I think as a whole, Haggai is a pretty optimistic book because it looks forward to a new and better temple, a new and better priest, and a new and better way. Hendres helps us to see that it also perhaps alludes to a new and better king. 
I reckon for most of us, optimism is in a bit of short supply at the moment. You might feel a little bit like you're metaphorically back in the time of Haggai, you know, like they were working really hard in their fields and yet they weren't harvesting very much, putting a lot of energy in and yet the rewards coming back were pretty small. I wonder if that kind of feels a bit like your work week over the last week or so. And I want to remind you this morning that the gospel, the story of what God is doing in the world, is really an optimistic story. I want to remind you that God is a good God. He's doing good things in this world. He has acted, he will keep acting, and he has good promises in store for us. He's promised a new and better temple, a new and better creation, a sin-free, pain-free, unblemished world for us to inhabit. And so I thought it'd be good just for a moment or two for you to pause and just write down some of the things that you are looking forward to in the next six or eight weeks. Might be a bit hard to do, but if you struggle to think through just in the next six to eight weeks, then just have a bit of a think further ahead. I'd love you to write down some of the promises that God's held out for us. Life perfected, free from sin, an unblemished world in the age to come. Remind yourself that the gospel is a good gospel and that our God is a good God to us. You do that for a few minutes. What are you looking forward to? There might be some things coming up in the next couple of weeks that you're really looking forward to. But also remind yourself of the good promises in the gospel. And take a couple of minutes to do that on your leaflet and then I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this little book, Haggai. Thank you for what it teaches us about you and about our priorities and the reminder that we have as your people to keep seeking you, to keep participating in the work of building up your kingdom. We thank you that the harvest is plentiful in Adelaide and for the many opportunities we have to practice being your servants and your mouthpiece in this world. We thank you for your word which points us to your goodness that shows us of the great promises you have in store for us of life perfected unblemished and with you for all eternity we give you thanks that you're a sovereign god and you're in control even when our world feels like there's chaos raging all around father please be with us we ask we ask that you would protect us comfort us and guide us it's in jesus name we pray amen